Hi, my name is Casey Fulton. I'm an artist and you're watching Low Key MTL. You seem to be super uh, busy nowadays. What are you up to? Wicked busy, man. I mean, I'm just like in a period of training, I guess. You know, we're in COVID, like I was saying, like we're kind of locked up with our decisions and I'm pretty happy with mine. Um, it's uh, a lot of time to reflect mm -hmm. and uh, you know I think goal setting is in a way how we keep ourselves sane you know I kind of lament going downtown and the bars are closed so the best thing for me to do is to lay out exercises where I can exert as much focus as possible so mm -hmm. uh, whether it's drawing like draftsmanship stuff like learning perspective or studying human anatomy you know just learning how to draw a human face and spin it on a 90 degree angle and it be the same person mm -hmm. is there's a lot more going on you might think or even in piano like just trying to get your tone to sound consistent and clean and even you know oh interesting i didn't know that about you so you, are you big on piano is oh yeah big okay. time big time studying harmony for how, how long have you been like six, like 16 years yeah oh wow okay okay yeah yeah so i'd say that's like kind of uh, hand in hand with visual arts is like cool. a love of music and and uh, the craftsmanship of playing classical and improv. Um, Does music relate to your art in any way? I'm sure there's you know I'm sure there's subtle uh, back and forth between the two, mm -hmm. but I think that there's a lot of like a lot of insights from getting better at music. I think can provide some much needed remedies for artistic practice and vice versa. So you know in in arts we sometimes have this fixation that one should be as original as possible but in music it's not only encouraged but kind of expected that you're going to study and copy the masters and like sort of absorb it into your own language right right yeah you get the basics and yeah build from there exactly and i think vice versa too right because with art history and study of visual arts we're, we're taught to look at context mm. and uh subversion in some very interesting ways that we're sort of born in the 20th century and I think to an, to an extent those exist in music whether it's modern production or in classical western classical uh, idioms but it can be really nice to take things like you know like I say like reframing the context of a piece uh, the way you would in art and applying that to classical piano so you're saying how you're like trying to keep busy with uh, like a, I yep. guess like a to-do list of things to do. Oh yeah. I remember the, the, the first time I met you actually, you were telling me about Inktober or... Inktober. Inktober, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's a psycho challenge, man. That is yeah. it's psycho. Because what it is, yeah, you try to do 31 illustrations, one every day and mm -hmm. uh, I guess pen, but that the medium's like kind of flopped. Like it's, it's whatever. But you're trying to do 31 illustrations in 31 days, man, and it's it's definitely not healthy. That's one thing. It's uh, it's. Do a, you eventually get sick of illustrating by that point? Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. I mean, like, it's kind of a fast track to burnout. Now, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of industries where you're expected to draw that much, but I think the thing about it is that it's not just the challenge of producing a drawing every day it's also the pressure to put it on instagram and social media where right. it veers from like a high cardio workout to like an abusive challenge because having a complete image rolled out and presented and ready 
every day becomes kind of logistically impossible whether you're doing really well or really poorly because if you're doing really well your standard will go up and up and up to a point where it's not really sustainable especially if you have other responsibilities and if it's uh, going poorly um, the pressure to have something as good as you can every day means that you might put four or five hours of work into a drawing by day 17 and uh, it might be an okay piece of work by the standards any other time of the year but if you're doing if you're trying to pump out high quality image after high quality image passable becomes unacceptable right and I find yeah. on social media as well it's really hard to like showcase the detail in the drawing you know what I mean yeah like, I know seeing it in person versus seeing it on, in a picture on on Instagram is like a huge difference so true man it's so true like I mean not only is it pixelated basically mm -hmm. you know something very high detail where a person can bring it here or look in becomes a JPEG mm -hmm. but also the lens of the cameras we're used to using will crank up the contrast you might do you edit like do you, would you edit your uh, the actual picture before you post it yeah oh yeah for sure okay. to, to a limited extent um, and I used to have this idea the, when I first started taking pictures of my art it was I love it because it's like you're looking at the drawing as if someone else made it right and you kind of get like a little bit of distance which is great however as time has gone on I now find that I'm putting more effort into editing just to try and make the picture look like the original. Right, yeah, that's you what know? I mean. Yeah, so you would like yeah. bring out the shadows and stuff like that, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Were you yeah. using Adobe for that? To a limited extent, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think in the best cases, I wanted to... When you're really excited, you want to get something out while it's hot, right? Yeah, for sure. So you want to like just use the sliders on the iPhone editor and then Instagram. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I think you could do most of it with that. Like yeah. Lightroom is, if you want to get really crazy with the colors and like change colors up and stuff too. Yeah. Which I noticed, so you do painting and illustration, right? Yeah, yeah. But I feel like you're more on the illustration side. Definitely lately, what I yeah. See. yeah. Um, and I think it's like, it's kind of like a, a formalist tick, I think. I read somewhere in this book a book called The Natural Way to Draw by a guy named Nicolades. He was saying that you got to learn how to, this is like very stodgy, old school way of looking at art technique, but he was like, don't touch a paintbrush until you've studied drawing technique for like five years. And I defied that. I was like, you know, I'm young, I'm, I want to express myself, I want to use color. Um, but as I started like, I guess like developing like a more refined palette for what I wanted to achieve in art, I was like, just thinking, A, drawing and illustration is where I'm rooted in, but B, color is such a vast subject that I feel like a deeper security in drawing and illustration is needed before you like, you know, like take that leap. Okay, that, I was wondering why you don't use color in illustration, but yeah. That's, I, is that why it's for like the shading and yeah just I mean just trying to get as much mileage as possible out of black and white is uh, I think a big thing I've been doing it like slowly slowly mm. more and more and if I was gonna give I don't necessarily feel entitled to give advice yet in mm. a lot of those processes but I would say that for young artists who are looking to branch over what I find has given me the most success because it's one thing to use color, it's another thing to feel really, really engaged with a medium. 
And with black and white, I find that's easier. But to make the switch, what I find is easy is just add one different tone to your pieces. You know, if you, if you use a black pen and a red pen, the amount of combinations you get with the two is so infinite that you can just branch over like organically, I think. And then oh, yeah. inevitably you're gonna be like, well, what if I like, and you can even use very, very cheap shoddy materials and start getting results that feel good. Like mm. you could use a yellow highlighter on top of that and feel great about what you've drawn because it's not so much that you're using a cheap material so much as another option is available to you and it's absorbed organically into like a, a process, like a strong current of creative thought. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen like, like the there's like trendy videos now coming out with people using cheap materials, like mm -hmm. just like a box of Crayola. Yeah, and they would draw like the most detailed eye, insane mileage out of it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. It's very respectable, right? Because mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, with photography, music, very similar to art, there can be such a wicked pay gate for supplies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just fun, you know. Like, what's more fun than seeing some cool new piece of equipment? that's gonna give you new options. Yeah, exactly, yeah, it's like the technology that comes with it. Yeah, for sure. but I think that really goes back to the Inktober thing, man, because at the end of the day, I did like two or three days of Inktober this year, and I was like, no way. I have, <laughs> I have too much going on in life to like, to dive into this. So like, what yeah. exactly are you doing right now, now that it's COVID, and, cause you're, you're keeping busy, clearly. Yeah, yeah, big what time, man. So you're, um, you're I guess piano, you're, you're in your music side. Yeah, well I was just gonna say, as long as you're drawing or doing something every day, right, right. and thinking consciously about how, like it ties back to like a long-term goal, then you're good. You don't have to pump out a finished thing every day. Mm -hmm. And worrying about Instagram constantly is going to get in the way of the process. But right. are you exploring new ideas and new oh, yeah. like, techniques and stuff? Hell yeah, man, big time, big cool. time. I mean, sometimes I feel like you can't, you could almost, it's hard to be an artist and a student at the same time right. because when you're a student it's all about like put it leaving your ego at the door listening to what another person has to offer and really trying to absorb new stuff and shake your foundations whereas when you're in artist mode there's kind of a can't tell me nothing attitude you know what mm -hmm. i mean like so this is an artist that finally there's so much you have so you have to have so much pride in your work right yeah so there's like a natural ego that comes with it exactly there is there is you know and that's something we all got to contend with as artists but, but it's, oh, it's also interesting how most artists are aware of that yeah yeah it's good it's good yeah. you know because like when that runs rampant it could, i mean on a personal level that can be really challenging with mm -hmm. people but i mean just a perfect example of how hard it can be for an artist to absorb information with new ideas and new concepts you were mentioning earlier is I just realized the other day that tracing paper is extremely useful and it's like the most obvious shit in the world mm -hmm. people have been like make sure it's in a supply list of every first level course right, yeah. you know and then finally after years of not using it like a like a fucking bull in a china shop I was like like what if there was some way that I could have layers in real life the way you do on photoshop and it's like you have a, a wad of tracing paper offside, so. For what, like animation? Yeah, animation, I mean, construction. Like I was saying earlier, if you wanna turn a character 90 degrees. Oh, true. Right, if you can boil it, this is another one that for some reason, I maybe I just wasn't ready to absorb this fact until recently, but you take a human face, boil it down to some basic geometric forms that you can like 
rebuild the face on. Mm -hmm. Anybody can turn a cube, you know? So if, if you find a, like a, a rectangular prism in the jaw and a sphere where the head was. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, you boil it down to that. Oh shit! Yeah, and then right. you boil it on the shapes, and then you just turn the shapes, and yeah. you build off of that. Exactly, That's and then you're, cool. yeah, and yeah. you're just sitting there in amazement, like I. And then it's funny because, like I said, you put that artist need to express and not listen aside, and you do something like that. Mm. The next time you go back, you almost don't even have to do the breakdown because your your brain kind of absorbs that process. And yeah, then, so you're kind of doing it subconsciously as you're... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's like, for me, it's just been a lot of unpacking those things mm -hmm. and, you know, going against the impulse. Like, I'm very happy and relieved to say that I have a natural drive and a desire to create things, but the disciplined and possibly mature thing that I have to do and that many artists are probably, you know... Uh, lacking. Lacking, I'd say, yeah, is... Um, is those is dismantling your habit you know and putting in giving it like a spine giving it a backbone with those procedures and and i'm kind of giving it a structure yeah yeah exactly and it's kind of tough because you know i think i used the word stodgy earlier i got a kick out of that one it's just things that are like stuffy and old i suppose okay. we, we we sometimes like resist formal training because we don't want to be bogged down by prior ideas yeah but so it just feels boring as well, right? Oh yeah, and it yeah. is. It's just dead ass boring. Yeah. It's just it's like the boring legwork. I mean, these are boring times, right? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of fitting. Sure. But uh, but yeah, I wanted to ask you about like character development wise, because you have specific you have a specific style, right? To yeah. Your your characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, well, first of all, like I wanted to ask, like, did that just happen naturally, or were you uh, conscious of that and you were trying to find a style in the beginning and like? Is that like when, because when artists yeah. find their styles, mm -hmm. are they like actively trying to find a style or are they just kind of drawing and then eventually they're like, oh, this is kind of my style? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and actually I was just about to kind of wax on something very pertinent to that okay. is that there, are, I think there's two sides to it. One is that you've got a toolkit, right? And I think the difference between somebody who has their style mm -hmm. and somebody who's like a flat out plagiarist is that uh, if you're going to be accused of plagiarism, if you rip off one artist, if you if you take, let's say you look at the guy, let's see who's a Hayao Miyazaki, the guy who did Studio Ghibli, like he did Spirited Away, uh, Howl's Moving Castle. He's like a he's a he's a monolith in the industry. Okay. If you only ever study his work, um, there's a very high chance you're going to be accused of ripping that off. Whereas if you study lots of different people in lots of different places, you're still absorbing. It's exactly like the like the English language or any language. You know, you, you just you just take it from many sources, and then your own individuality is like this Brita filter that's gonna that's gonna sort those things out, and you're gonna pump stuff out. So, at least with drawings where I feel like I was really successful. I'll show it to different people and they'll say, hey, this really reminds me of such and such and I'll bring it to someone else and they'll have something completely different. And in most cases, there's a grain of truth to both, but our brain is kind of like turning all those influences into like a chili, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like this soup of many, many ingredients. But in terms of that filter, you know, that creative spark, I think it's a two-body a two, a two issue. You have 
the language you build up from the masters and then you have your experience that it goes through I feel like a lot of people try to assert their individuality and I think we're all guilty of it you know especially as a teenager we do things that are like very ham-fisted you know we'll, right. we'll buy box dye and like mess up our hair or we'll like wear a really flashy shirt and be like I'm and to differentiate ourselves mm -hmm. but a really good insight that I got recently uh, I was refreshed on recently is that a big part of our individuality is not is not things we tape to ourselves or things we it's not a front we put on you know it's like a reduction if you take everything else away your individuality and what makes you you your experience of life is what cannot be stripped away you know so and that ties back to so many other things we were just talking about if you study formal technique mm -hmm. uh, you know you might fear losing what made you unique but you're not gonna lose what makes you unique until you actually die die until you fucking <laughs> yeah. die exactly Shit. yeah so oh, yeah, that's true yeah yeah you know it's a rock solid it's a foundation it's still there I mean we can go through uh, trying tasks technique wise or traumatic experiences in life you know and and get a sense of losing yourself but I mean, maybe it's very optimistic, but I like to think that that's something that can't be shaken, you know? Yeah, I know. I agree with that because that's the one yeah. thing that's solid, right? Like, time is the one thing that's just going to keep moving. Yeah. So, like... Yeah, it's there, right? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the times, style are things that you don't even know are there, you know? Like, I had someone... And I, I was very flattered. Somebody made a comment to me. They said, I would know if it was your work anywhere. Yeah, I was right. about to say that as well before, because yeah. mm -hmm. you have this like, specific. It's almost like a like a Zelda world. A little, it is. It like, is. Yeah, big Zelda vibes. Mm -hmm. Big Zelda vibes. So, do you think it comes from? Do you have some like? Is it actually connecting to Zelda somehow? Or? Oh, for sure. Okay, yeah, okay. I was talk, I was kind of on one about this to someone the other day. I I feel like, because because for me, one of the big things is that I can't. I can't really deny the things that I love when I make art, you know? And that's why I'm excited about my own work is because I channel things that I really love into the drawings so that I can be, I can honestly be excited about them. Mm -hmm. And Zelda just, that, <laughs> Zelda fucks, you know? <laughs> it's, true, true. it's a good game. <laughs> yeah. And all, all of them are. And there's also yeah. like a, well, most in your paintings I noticed there's a lot of animals. Yeah, but that that you have some animals in your illustrations as well. It's very like nature and animal based as well, right? For sure, I think. Are you trying to like portrays a certain message in this. Or? Hell yeah, hell okay. yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I I get I get teased with this sometimes, but there's an inescapable Pokemon influence in my work. Okay, can't shake it. It's like yeah, whatever. you kind of see that, right? And uh, I think the big thing for me is that it seems to me like the farther we get from a human form there are these different challenges with empathy that come up you mm -hmm. know and uh animals when they have big baby eyes you know and they make they have eyebrows that lift up like a dog so uh, innocent looking yeah we yeah. empathize with them right? right so when i draw monsters or when i paint an animal in real life i guess the thing that i'm interested in is how can we play with that ability to recognize a living thing on the other side what, what you're talking about right now mm -hmm. with um, the empathy mm -hmm. like we're gonna have those same challenges with the the robot world eventually or if we're one with the robot hell yeah I mean that's like it's almost incomprehensible right I'm kind of like excited for 
the ways in which we can use technology to, you know, re-envision things, but obviously we're not even treating all humans equally. We're going to, like, bring more conscious things onto the arena. It's like <laughs> a fucking... It's just like a... It's a recipe for absolute disaster. Do you, would you consider it conscious if there's no, like... Hmm. Like, where do you draw... Do you have... Do you know where you would draw that line of, like, when a machine becomes... Conscious. Well... Something that you should be respectful towards, I guess, in a sense. <laughs> I've only seen season one of Westworld, so I don't really know where Have you watched goes. Black Mirror? Not enough. Okay, not enough. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, probably not shocked to hear this, but I kind of didn't watch past the episode with the guy ha having sex with the pig's head. I was like... Oh, see, that, that, was, like, that was an artist one. episode, too. Yeah. Did you watch the whole episode? I did. I did. Yeah, it was a piece of contemporary art. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking wild. <laughs> Freaky is that? Oh man! But that was uh, one of the earlier seasons, actually. Season three is, is when yeah. it gets like super, super good. Season three is amazing. Actually. I could, I could, I could be on board with that. It's definitely, on, it's definitely on the watch list. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. I've been hearing a lot about Atlanta as well. I want to check that oh, out. Oh, interesting. Donald Glover is like. You know, oh, it's his. Okay, cool. Yeah, he like produced it. I guess it's. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know. I know what you're talking about. Speaking of Netflix documentaries, yeah. have you watched um, Struggle? No, no. What's Dude, that about? You have to watch this. It's yeah. about this Polish artist named Sukalski. Oh shit! Oh Dude, shit! Yeah, is he like he's like a wicked illustrator who lives and a in the sculptor? No, yeah. no, no, no. He's not in the desert. So he he moves to he's like in the states, and these yeah. like these people just like find out about him in the eighties. They yeah. start like hanging out with him. Yeah, and then it just turns out like they had no idea that this guy was like a legend, crazy legend in Poland, and yeah. like he was like making art that was like politically like adverse and shit and like he had so much history that was just erased from him yeah which was like crazy and then they they like dig in and they find out all about his artwork and stuff it's, i you know what you gotta I watch did. it i did see that actually. oh you did i did i'm just like i'm realizing i had it on two or three years ago when oh, I was at okay. home. it's fucking wild and, and you know what i really loved about that he was nuts right Remember, he, he, had, was he, he had like a creation story right and you gotta love that i mean like you know facts the importance of good historic, like scientific method cannot be overstated, mm -hmm. but a person's fantasy about how the world created is a very refreshing little story. Yeah. He's like, he's like, society started on fucking Easter Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, that's, you know, I mean, it's a cool idea. And he was also super, like, confident about yeah. his... Uh, Unflinching. Right, like, yeah. right, he didn't, it's like, sorry, I'm just putting up yeah, this on okay, okay. He literally didn't have time to, like, doubt shit, because he was just pumping it out but i feel like yeah. a lot of that was to do with his uh upbringing because as a kid remember his i think at school yeah uh, the art teacher in chicago was like oh like he's not drawing mm -hmm. the proper well his the, i mean yeah language he was in right his alphabet was like a whole different alphabet right yeah he created his own language yeah. then his father kind of backed him up and he's like oh he does what he wants and then i feel mm -hmm. like that upbringing yielded to him having like a wild imagination and like creativity because he, he had no boundaries definitely i mean it's that's a super interesting topic right now because we're kind of like contending with the questions you know low self-esteem is something that plagues our society right and mm -hmm. and these limits that people put on themselves but at the same time you know when you, one is up in the clouds all the time and totally high on their own confidence it's very, very hard to be considerate of the ramifications of our behavior on others around us. So it's like, I don't really, like personally, I don't think there needs to be a dichotomy of 
you have healthy self-confidence and a, and a trust in oneself and have empathy and be able to sustain a respectful relationship with the people around you. But that's kind of the popular narrative right now, you know. I want to mince my words a little bit, mm -hmm. I guess, because uh, it's very in vogue. Like I was going to say, it's very in vogue to attack the confidence, but, you know, we do have extremes of egotism that are harmful to people, right? And uh, when that goes unchecked in a personality, it is to the detriment of the people around us. So, you know, I'm, like I say, I'm a little bit optimistic about things. I like to think that there's a secure sense of self and an excitedness about one's ideas that you can foster without it being negative, negatively impactful. But, but I feel sometimes you need to be crazy enough yeah. to like make things actually happen. They know? say that. They keep saying that shit, man. I don't <laughs> know. It's true. Is it true? I don't know. I guess so. I mean, like... You just haven't seen the other version yet. That's, you just haven't seen the other version. I mean, like, even... Uh, personally, like I said, I was very flattered when somebody said that they recognize my art anywhere. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, you know. I thought I thought that two of my drawings were like as different as night and day. So the individuality is something that I'm not really cognizant of, and and in a way, I feel better about that. But uh, okay, so for yeah. in your head, you don't really necessarily have a style, I guess. Is that what you're saying? Well, I guess to me, it's just a filter of how I see reality. You know, okay. if you're wearing lenses that are tinted blue everything is sort of seen through that through mm -hmm. that lens it's right. literally it's what people say mm -hmm. um i'm gauging all the different facets of my experience and those things don't look the same to me but that filter of my perception i guess is going to be visible and i could say that that's come through in other people's work as well for me mm -hmm. but the other thing is i've had you know i like in in periods of life where i you know i had uh perceived comments I had made sometimes I think my commentary on something is the most mundane obvious observation and somebody's like oh you're crazy right so may maybe the craziness does always have to be there but and who's it's saying you're crazy the the artist or uh well just like little and I mean I'm just you know I'm not trying to uh differentiate myself too much it's just sometimes you're surprised when people uh, find what you consider to be obvious to be weird, right? So I feel oh, like that okay. I feel like yeah. that really ties back into this notion of individuality, right? right? Yeah, yeah. If you play a word association game with people, you know, the most obvious choice for them might say so much about their worldview. That's and, it, it all comes down to perspective, right? And oh, yeah. That's basically what art is, it's just, Definitely. Yeah, it's reframing. It's a, it's a, it's a contextual thing. Dude, you know what I saw that was actually kind of cool? I wanted to know what you thought of this. Is I forget the name of the buddy who directed it, but there was this like super low-grade, cheesy sci-fi movie that came out in the 90s called Starship Troopers. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it, but I've never yeah. watched it. Neil Patrick Harris is in it, and it's... What? It, yeah, it's a ride, man. It's, it's like, no it is some shit. When did this come out? 1998. This one okay, okay. But it's just fucking wild because... Um, is it like a comedy or...? Well, yes and no. It's based on a science fiction novel and okay. it's hyper-violent, pretty sexual, humans at war with these insect aliens. But the, here, this, is, this is where I'm going with this, is that the idea, and I heard this on a, actually like some other podcasters were talking about it too, uh, was that 
the movie is kind of cheesy and hyper violent because the theme of the movie is that this is the type of film that would be made in a futuristic fascist society. So the director, everyone saw this movie and they're like, this guy's nuts, man. He's like, what kind of fucking movie is this guy making? Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is the type, he's, he like assumed the persona of like a fascist director and then made a movie. And that's like where you bring acting and theater and persona to the art you create. It's like you're going into another lens. And, I, and that's, that would be like, in my mind, very brilliant contextual reframing so like the characters in your illustrations mm -hmm. do you have in your head or do they have the, these personalities oh yeah totally totally i mean you base them on people you know okay people you've met characters you've seen that are memorable mm -hmm. and uh so if you were yeah. to if someone were to be like oh let's let's make a cartoon mm -hmm. out of this like you would already have like storylines and stuff oh yeah oh my god yeah. dude i have like a, a wealth and I, just yeah totally a wealth of things like that i think i i mean that's kind of the intent actually mm -hmm. okay dope. yeah that would be yeah. a pretty dope like well thank you man some, yeah. like rick and morty vibes in there a little like, bit yeah. a little bit yeah i mean i think uh i got a tendency to get high-minded with ideals about like artistic integrity and mm -hmm. shit like that but i mean ultimately <clears throat> It's important, I think, not to get too serious because I'm a fantasy art illustrator and at the end of the day, you know, I want to explore important themes, but the target audience at the end of the day is children, you know? Okay. So it's got to be what is cool, what sparks amazement and what, you know, appeals to, the, to human nature, I guess, if I could speak right, that yeah. generally. And, you know, Disney does a pretty good job of that. There's yeah. some shit. Well, they work on things for like 10 years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, also like world class teams and stuff. Yeah, too. that's true. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, innovative technology as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, you gotta work with what you got, right? Mm -hmm. But I would, you know, I definitely want to do stories with the uh, characters, and I've got that stuff envisioned quite a bit. I love um, fantasy world building. You know, if, I don't know if you, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before? No, but I know what that is. Yeah. It's a hoot. I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, that. Well, nerd culture is mainstream now, right? So, yeah, yeah. so it's like it's not really socially taboo to be a nerd. But uh, yeah, it's quite the opposite now. Everybody's building PCs, everybody's gaming. Yeah, it's yeah. completely standard now, right? And uh, Dungeons and Dragons, especially with things like Stranger Things um, or some other series that have come out, it's totally normalized it. But there is a there always has been a culture of people who do these like whole worlds with their fantasy stuff but mm -hmm. it, much like other mediums it's very subject to monolithic thinking big time so like have you seen lord of the rings uh no i know <laughs> i recommend it it's pretty it's a pretty decent uh, for some reason just like mm -hmm. fiction wise like yes yeah. well i mean things like interstellar and like yeah that's so, so you're more like the sci-fi realm like what's happening now well, kind of, or like yeah. predictions of the future that's like kind of scary yeah. I guess well that's I feel like that's kind of uh, in a lot of ways the core difference between sci-fi and fantasy right is like that's speculative about the future right okay yeah but um, anyway I was going to say man is like with fantasy you know Tolkien was a really remarkable creative person and, mm -hmm. and the works he did are such landmarks but what happens a lot of the time is that the people who 
you know, break this ground, set a precedent that people have a lot of difficulty looking past. And what Tolkien did made really good sense in the 40s and 50s, and it's still a masterwork. But we have other people churning out fantasy series and content that is totally imitative of his work. And it's just like, well, it's the reason I don't support fedoras. You know what I mean? I think maybe those made sense in the 20s, but it's like, get that shit off your head <laughs> today. It's just, it's not where we're at, you know? It might make a comeback. Maybe it'll come back. I should... I'll I haven't seen my, one in a while, actually. Yeah. I will figuratively eat my shoe if fedoras <laughs> make a comeback. But uh, anyway, I was just going to say, you know, when it comes to creativity, I'm making like a few points at once here. Yeah, yeah. Pardon me, man. Oh, good. Like, I'm, I'm pretty ADD too, so. Wicked. Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. all over the place. So, you know, people always talk about how everything's been done. You know, hit song by the Bare Naked Ladies, it's all been done. But the context changes every minute. You know, mm. if somebody made a fuck, okay, great example. Future made a song called Mask Off. Mm. That's why his name is Future. He's a, like, <laughs> that's fucked. So he made a song called Mask Off. The meaning of that song Holy will, shit. you know, we can never hear that the same way, right? So if you think about a piece that was made, like Lord of the Rings, a trilogy novel, a, se- a, se- a hexilogy um, that came out 80 years ago, the landscape of our reality has changed so much that even if you were the same person as Tolkien, you would not write that work. But we're so bogged down with, with the precedence of a medium. So for me, with fantasy, I want to make something that is a little bit more modern, a little bit more metropolitan, but also, you know, with a reverence for nature and for life. It's almost like timeless. Timeless would be cool. Yeah. I mean, I would be pretty fucking down to make some timeless work. Yeah, right? but how do you know it's timeless? <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, I don't know. It's like The Simpsons predicting riots and shit. You know? Yeah, well, The, the Simpsons is kind of is kind of turned out to be pretty timeless in some regards. Influences can come from really unexpected areas. This is a hunch I have. It's not founded, but I think that BBC's Planet Earth has probably done more to change illustration and fantasy art than any major works in fantasy have since that DVD series came out. The first one or the each album? I'd say the first, that's the second one too. I mean, every time you turn... Yeah, every, every time, time, exactly. You know, literally anything that they put David Attenborough's voice on, <laughs> I'm watching that and I'm like taking notes. I'm like, yeah, bird lives in nest made of pl- like blue items that he steals from people. <laughs> but you know? not even that, just yeah. the fact that Planet Earth in general just allows us to reconnect with all that shit because we don't there's no way of seeing that world it's like a alien planet right? yeah and yeah. like i feel like every time a planet earth episode comes out it just our consciousness as a, a human race just changes yeah you, you know? know what i would agree with you i would agree with you because remember that fucking the, the most recent one where like they see snakes hunting in packs which was like never seen before <laughs> they're like we have to rewrite the whole script yeah on this animal yeah, I, that's the type of shit I love to see, man. And also, even just on a smaller scale, kind of rewriting our norms about the natural world, I love when people leave out a wildlife camera and you see these stupid interactions between wild animals. That oh, and it's, never, just the, yeah. it's just like a raccoon on a cougar's back, you know? And they're <laughs> like, the people aren't looking anymore. It's just like... I remember you were working on a gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called Drift with uh or like there's like horned like 
Oh, the cow, the floating cow the series. The floating cows, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like the flagship. I think that's going to, I mean, I'm, I don't think, I'm really hoping that pays my bills, you know? Did you, are you still working on it? Yeah, okay. I had to put a break on it for, I haven't painted much the last year because I've been going back to fundamentals, right, but yeah, the plan yeah. is to like do like 30 or 40 of those. Okay, dope. Yeah. I yeah well, the ones I saw were super cool. Thank yeah. you, man. I appreciate that. They're hanging up in like a, an apartment building slash gallery downtown right now. Okay. So I got to touch base and get those back. But mm-hmm. no, I definitely want to do more of those, man. I mean, it's a, you know, clouds by themselves are a really fantastic study in color and form. Mm-hmm. They're different moments of the sunset, you know, span the whole color spectrum. So you, you name it and you name a palette, you can do it in the sky. But, uh, also what is that what are you like portraying in that though well i wanted to do something with a a universality to it there was the core concept of that cloud cow series is is actually quite engineered because in the art world you have to have a recognizable thing you do over and over and over again mm-hmm. well it's like brand continuity you know mm-hmm. artists want to explore new things and that is in conflict with the art market because what investors of art want is a continuous and reliable brand from an artist so that when they buy a work and it appreciates in value there will be no question that they know it's their work and that can and it's it's to an extreme right so that's why people love artists that are dead because you can really put a cap on what their brand is great artists that are alive today might turn around and do something completely unexpected and that is bad for the appreciation of value in the art market the same way like your favorite artist might turn around and do a country album after 20 years and the fans are left like right confused but i hate i hate that because mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. now i feel like as an artist in general like you should be more multifaceted and like yeah because as a human you're not just one thing you're in so many things oh man to you, you know y- you know what you're saying really touches on a relevant issue in the art world right is that especially with people who are producing works that reflect that nature of humanity, they're going to change and they're going to grow and they might want to branch out. You know, you might make pottery today and turn around and make quilts tomorrow. And both are valid, but maybe you had a name in pottery and people don't want to buy your quilts. So with the cloud cow pieces, what I was doing, they're not connected to the fantasy universe, but stylistically there's a coherence there. What I did is I thought I'm going to make a concept that is that feels hip to me, but it's malleable. So clouds change form and the fact that I'm mixing them with cows, I very, very deliberately kept the forms moderately loose in the painting and used clouds as a medium to do that because some of the cloud cows look more like pigs. Some of them look more like dinosaurs. And in one instance, I painted a goldfish and tucked it away in the corner. So the way clouds are ever shifting mm-hmm. and changing shape, the so is the subject matter of these paintings. So I have a brand that I can stick to, but I don't like when people say you either have a continuous image or many different things. Mm-hmm. I get irritated by dichotomies like that. Yeah. So I said, I'm doing, <laughs> they're like, they're like, do you want artistic freedom or brand continuity? And I said, yes. <laughs> Right, so that's the goal with those, and and the other thing is I like the universality of it because mm-hmm. sunsets are beautiful, and hopefully every you know culture in the world gets a nice view of the sky at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing I wanted to tap into with that is 
like at the end of the day, the cloud cows are just my modern take on the Lascaux cave paintings. I think those are wicked pieces of art. You know, they're right. not, you know, like the, anatomically perfect, but... Yeah, the, but it's, it's interesting because like, yeah. one is they're doing it straight from visuals. And I think mm -hmm. some people say that mm -hmm. it was a form of visual, visualization as well, where they were trying to... Yeah try to like make more animals come their way for more food and stuff totally and i believe it i mean all the speculation about those cave paintings is very interesting and i i think one fact it boils down to is we tend to look at those as a common heritage for humanity you know the herd is something that moves us and is beautiful you know mm -hmm. and it's not it's not a force that really exists in our lives unless we see cattle at pasture or you have the rare opportunity to see like an elk migration, you know? Mm. So, but we all see drifting. Planet Earth, right? Planet Earth, fucking planet Earth. <laughs> and it, it all ties back to BBC. <laughs> planet Earth controls us. Yeah, it's, it's all connected, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, it just felt like a very intuitive and very um, appropriate combination to take that herd cave painting style with these monsters I've been drawing and with clouds and to do it as a series and for that to be something that I will return to through life and hopefully you know uh, like God willing I can make hundreds and hundreds of those paintings mm -hmm. you know and you can explore in different ways like two cows like the clouds clash into each other they might mix into some sort of combination of the two and there's a fluidity of line that's cool. So it's just really cool yeah. how it's uh, it's all on. It's, it relates to a lot of perception as well, because like mm -hmm. even if you were to like imagine the people at the Neolithic time, like looking up at the sky, and you know, yeah. it's like television for them, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you're like you're like tying all those concepts together. That's it. That's it. And it, it, I think it feels nice when when you strike on an idea that feels like a meeting point of a couple different things. Mm -hmm. So it's those and are it's like, like you said, it's more malleable, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, the malleability ultimately is why I'm most excited about showing those pieces. But uh, yeah, I think cave art is awesome. And uh, mm -hmm. these are just my modern version of cave art. Yeah, dope. I like them. Like, I'm excited to see that gallery whenever that takes place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some point. Do Jeez. you have, a, like, an ETA or, like... Oh, man. I mean, I had an ETA before the pandemic, but mm -hmm. now I'm thinking, like, 2022, maybe, 2023. And how are you selling your pieces? Because you're not really on social media, man. <laughs> oh, man, I know. I've been, like, reclused. Yeah. Um, I'm going to redo my website and post up on some of those art sales websites. Right and be more active in social media as time goes on mm -hmm. but at Dude, the end you could even do like a like a tiktok series yeah amazing. as much as you don't want to hear the word tiktok you can see you're not the first person <laughs> to say that lately because uh, there's so much like art and yeah. like just the the process is big on tiktok people just want to see the process of things so like yeah if you have like a time lapse of you just making something mm -hmm. that shit would blow up I think you're right. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put some serious thought into a, a time lapse setup. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm just gonna have to schlep it and get into a good gallery physically mm -hmm. post pandemic. But online presence, I guess it's gonna come down to uh, making time for it, like anything else. Right. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. eventually you'll get a structure, and then you just yeah. follow that structure. That's it. That's exactly it. So yeah, that's that's 
but yeah it always depends on your priorities right like if you want to mm -hmm. work on skill more and like still mm -hmm. brush up on your stuff yeah like quiet period of training yeah. versus publicized 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 mm -hmm. right so i think i think i think we're headed in that direction like on a pretty fast track right now